0: I want you to go ahead and turn to Genesis uh, forty-five this morning. We're um, we've
1: gotten to a unique place in the story of the life of Joseph.
0: We've come to the climax of this story, and from here on out, we're gonna.
1: Reach the climax, we're going to work through some stuff. There's not long, we don't have long left in Genesis. I'm going to go three to five sermons at the most. And the reason I don't know is I thought I was going to do one sermon on two chapters and this week I changed my mind, so um, I make no promises. Three to five sermons are going to be wrapping Genesis up. But everything that we have worked towards since we got to Joseph is coming to a climax. And I want to just take a minute and remember how we got here to chapter 45. Because as we get to chapter 45, what we have happening is 22 years ago, a young 17-year-old boy was betrayed by his family, betrayed by his brothers. These were the people that should have protected Joseph the most, but instead, these are the ones that threw him in a pit to die. These are the ones that the boy begged from the pit for them not to kill him. Don't leave me in the pit. Scripture tells us they not only ignored the pleas of their brother, they walked away from the pit, they sat down, spread out their lunch, and ate lunch while their brother is begging them from the pit to save him. Why'd they want to kill him? Well, honestly, it was really nothing more than old school jealousy. He was dad's favorite. He was the one dad wanted to take over the family when he passed away. And to show this, the young man was given a special coat that symbolized to everyone the status of this young man. He was a walking billboard to the privileged status that he held with the father. And he also had the nerve, the gall, to have a dream about these brothers that they would bow down to him and serve him someday. And because of that, according to these brothers, it seemed like a reasonable excuse to throw him in a pit and kill him. You could say thankfully one of the brothers realized killing him wasn't a good idea when they could profit off of selling him. I mean, I guess slaves better than dead. I don't know. But, I mean, it was true. He was young. He was handsome. He'd fetch a good price. They pulled the young man out of the pit. And I'm sure this young Joseph thought by this point they've had a change of heart. They've come back. They realize this is a bad idea. They're going to pull me out of this pit. Take me back home to my father and everybody can go their separate ways. But that's not what happened. Instead, he's sold to the Ishmaelites who had a caravan that was headed to Egypt. And now he's lonely, he's terrified, he's confused. He's struggling with all of the thoughts and emotions involved in this level of betrayal. He does not know what will happen next. All he knows is he's headed to Egypt as a slave. He knows when he gets there, he'll be sold. He doesn't speak Egyptian. The only thing he does know, that as a Hebrew, he's considered lesser than when he gets to Egypt. This young man eventually ends up in the house of Potiphar, the captain of the guard of Pharaoh, and God blesses him. He moves up in the ranks of this house, and everything he touches turns out well. He ends up running the day-to-day operations of this captain's house. So much so, he was considered second in charge in the house. There was only one thing. There's only one thing Joseph had not been given charge of, and that was Potiphar's wife, who apparently did not like her sexual advances being rejected by Joseph. So she lies about him. He's thrown into prison. And he spends years sitting in prison for a crime he did not commit. Eventually, a baker and a cupbearer for Pharaoh were thrown into prison. We don't know why. But while in prison, they have dreams, and they, they, they're looking for an interpretation of these dreams. And, and through Joseph, God interprets these dreams, and he, he tells one that he'll be released in three days. He tells the other that he'll be killed in three days. And the only thing he asks in return for interpreting these dreams is that the baker, when he's released, will remember Joseph and speak a good word about him to Pharaoh. But again, doesn't happen. Joseph's betrayed. It was two years. Two years after the baker's release, before Joseph's name is brought up because Pharaoh had a dream, and no one could interpret it. Pharaoh dreamed that there were seven skinny cows who ate seven fat cows, and there were seven skinny ears of corn that devoured seven fat ears of corn. And Pharaoh was extremely upset by this dream. So Joseph's name comes up and Joseph comes and he interprets this dream that it will be famine. There will be seven years of plenty and seven years of severe famine that will kill many people. And, that, and Joseph lays out a plan for what needs to happen in order to survive the famine. Pharaoh is impressed by Joseph. So he puts him in charge of making sure there's enough food stored to carry them through seven years and not just the Egyptians, all the surrounding countries as well. This young man who was sold into slavery at 17 is now 30 years old. He spent half his life in Egypt. And I suspect by this point, Joseph's probably given up on seeing his father again. He doesn't know if Jacob's alive or dead. He's given up on seeing his younger brother again. How how is he going to ever get to Canaan to see his younger brother? The only family in his life that has not betrayed him. He doesn't even know what's happened to him. Until one day out of desperation, those same brothers that threw him in a pit, the same brothers that sold him into slavery, are forced to go to Egypt to buy food. And guess who they buy it from? They buy it from Joseph. Joseph sees them. They don't know it's him. They don't know this is the brother they betrayed. They don't recognize Joseph. He's dressed like an Egyptian. He's speaking Egyptian. He's in charge in the Egyptians, which was extremely odd for a Hebrew to have that level of power among the Egyptians. And out of a wisdom that could only come from God, Joseph begins a series of events that will push these brothers to face what they had done all those years ago. He sets them up to appear as thieves. He, he accuses them of lying about who they are, that they're spies. He throws them in prison for a few days. He, he forces them to go back to Canaan and bring young Benjamin back to prove who they are. All of this in an effort to see if they're the same men that sold him into slavery years ago or if they've changed. And in the end, after everything these brothers have been through, which took close to two years, all of the back and forth between Canaan and Egypt and everything they've dealt with, with the cups and the bags and the prison and, and the struggle and the trying to convince Jacob to even let Benjamin go with them, all the crisis that's happened to them, they left with one single awareness. God is punishing us for our sins. And that's where we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 45. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of all his attendants. So he called out, send everyone away from me. No one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers. But he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and also Pharaoh's household heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But they could not answer him because they were terrified in his presence. And then Joseph said to his brothers, please, come near me. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here, because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine has been in these land these two years, and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. And God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Return quickly to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph said. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me without delay. You can settle in the land of Goshen, And be near me, you, your children, and your grandchildren, your flocks, your herds, and all you have. There I will sustain you, for there will be five more years of famine. Otherwise, you, your household, and everything you have will become destitute. Look, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin can see that I'm the one speaking to you. Tell my father about all my glory in Egypt and about all you have seen, and bring my father here quickly." And then Joseph threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin wept on his shoulder. And Joseph kissed each of his brothers as he wept. And afterwards, his brothers talked with him. And when the news reached Pharaoh's palace, Joseph's brothers have come. Pharaoh and his servants were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this. Load your animals and go back to the land of Canaan. Get your father and your families and come back to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. And you can eat from the richness of the land. You are also commanded to tell them, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your dependents and your wives and bring your father here. Do not be concerned about your belongings, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them wagons as Pharaoh had commanded, and he gave them provision for the journey. He gave each of his brothers changes of clothes, but he gave Benjamin 300 pieces of silver and five changes of clothes. He sent his father the following, 10 donkeys carrying the best products of Egypt, 10 female donkeys carrying grain, food, and provisions for his father on the journey. So Joseph sent his brothers on their way, and as they were leaving, he said, don't argue on the way. So they went up from Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. And they said, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob was stunned, for he did not believe them. But when they told Jacob all that Joseph had said to them, when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to transport him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And then Israel said, Enough. My son Joseph is still alive. I will go to see him before I die. Everything that has gone before has led up to this point in this story. Joseph, in that moment, realizes that everything he had hoped to see from the very beginning of dealing with these brothers over 20 years has come that they are truly repentant and he's overwhelmed with emotion. This time though, he doesn't walk away to weep. He he actually sends everyone out of the room because this moment is not for outsiders.
0: This is a family. And overwhelmed by emotion, he leaps so loudly that even the household of Pharaoh hears it. Eleven men stand before him, his brothers, and they hear it. They see this man weeping. And remember up to this point,
1: Joseph's speaking Egyptian. He's using a translator to help communicate. Now, however, Joseph clears the room and says to them in
0: Hebrew, I am Joseph. I've got to be honest with you, that's a moment I would have liked to have seen. I liked them in standing
1: behind Joseph, watching those brothers when this happened. What was their response? The passage says they were terrified, and rightfully so. They should have been terrified.
0: Think about what just happened in three words. They, are, they find themselves stunned, they're in sheer silence. But how else could
1: they respond? After everything that's happened, they now stand in front of the man who has the power of life and death in his hands. And they know in that moment that if Joseph wants to snap his fingers and exact revenge on them, their life is over and there's nothing they can do about it. They think Joseph is... They probably
0: think he's dead at this point. I mean, most slaves don't survive 22 years. They know what justice would look like. They know what they did. Do you know what? This is not that kind of story. This is not a revenge story. If this were a movie... It would bomb
1: at the box office. I know culturally, we love revenge movies. You know, the teenage girl burned down her school from being bullied. The warrior exact revenge on all of Rome
0: after his family's slaughtered. The assassin goes on a killing spree because somebody killed his dog. But this is not a movie. This is not a revenge story.
1: This is an amazing story of God working and His children responding in forgiveness. And as we've been working through the story the past several weeks, if you ever ask yourself this question over the last several weeks, why did Joseph not retaliate? Why did he not seek revenge on these brothers?
0: Or you might even ask yourself, after everything, how is Joseph going to forgive these brothers? The answer is in his speech. Actually, verse 5 tells us, it gives us very clear, very
1: clear example of what's happening in, in the mind of Joseph. It says in verse 5, And now, don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here, because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. Verse 7, God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you
0: alive by great deliverance. What did Joseph see that allowed him to forgive these brothers? As cliche as it sounds, he saw God. He saw God at work
1: in his life. And in the life of his brothers and in the lives of Pharaoh and in the midst of the famine and in the middle of everything that had taken place, Joseph saw the providential hand of God working and a proper understanding of the sovereignty of God allowed him to forgive. Joseph, he saw the bigger picture of God at work. Joseph was able to see past himself, past his personal problems, past his personal hurts, past this small place in the bigger work of what God was doing and able to see God working. The thing is though, Joseph didn't ignore those hurts. He didn't pretend it didn't happen. He didn't ignore the circumstances that surrounded it. The hurts were still there. The betrayal was still there. Those brothers were still responsible for what they did. But what Joseph knew was justice was not his to merit out the position God had placed him in was a position of forgiveness and reconciliation. And he considered everything that had happened for 20 years and he weighed that against what God was doing. And Joseph said, this is not about me. I'm just a servant of God. God, Joseph recognized that God sovereignly preserves life and God overcomes the crisis of the famine by preparing a deliverer who would be able to save His people and in turn all the world. And verse 7 mentions the remnant. It's a really important concept in Scripture, this remnant concept. And I almost considered preaching in just an entire sermon on the topic of the remnant, and I might do that in a few weeks. But throughout Scripture, we see God preserving a remnant through the midst of destruction, a small, faithful group where when the dust settles, they remain his chosen faithful. In fact, we've seen this in Genesis, this preservation of the remnant, the seed on the earth. That, that's the primary purpose of, the, of much of the book of Genesis. It's even if you go back all the
0: way to 3.15, God preserving a remnant. God's people would be, not be destroyed.
1: There would be great deliverance. If you think about Noah and his family, they were a remnant saved out of the millions on earth from the flood. Lot and his two daughters saved from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Not much of a remnant, but there's there. If you, if you, if you think about even what's happened in the Joseph story up till this point in 45, And as you move through the Old Testament, one of the the greatest testaments to this concept of the remnant is in 1 Kings 19 where Elijah is in despair because he feels like he's the only person left in Israel who is not worshiping idols. And God tells him, he said, I have reserved a remnant of 7,000 whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Even today, No matter how bad things get, God is preserving and protecting His remnant, His children. God will use these circumstances in our lives to call us, like He did here, to repent of our sin, and we may face persecution, we may face oppression, but God will preserve His people, a people for Himself.
0: And what Joseph realized in this moment is that was what he was part of. This was so much bigger than Joseph. The other thing he realized, though, and this is is a hard one,
1: this is rough. In fact, the rest of Genesis is going to be a recurring theme
0: of this. God will use the evil in this world to accomplish his purpose. Three times in his speech, Joseph tells his brothers, God sent me here. God
1: sent me. I I, I know you sold me into slavery, but that was God using that to get me to Egypt. God sent me here ahead of you. God even uses the evil that people do to bring about his plan. And that's the mysterious balance between sovereign will and human will, and and they, they... Sold him in hatred, but God sent him to Egypt to save them. And if you, you know Genesis, you know the Joseph story, where we're headed in chapter 50.
0: One of the greatest phrases ever, what Satan meant for evil, God used for good. And those who are living in faith and
1: trying their best to see God work in their lives and the righteous can discern that God works in
0: even through the evil plans of humans. And that's hard when you're in the middle of it.
1: So much easier when you're on the outside looking in, watching God work while somebody else is dealing with that than it is when you're in the middle of it. Which honestly, I think is one of the benefits of being part of a church, church family. Sometimes there's some of us who can... See, help you see the bigger picture when you can't see it for yourself. This concept carries all through the passage. Uh, Brent read it this morning in Acts 2. Peter's preaching and he said, though Christ was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge,
0: you use lawless people to nail Him to a cross and kill Him. Those who do evil are responsible for their actions, but God will use even those actions for His glory.
1: And because Joseph saw this bigger picture, because he was focused on what God was doing and not what happened to him, there was no room in his life for retaliation.
0: There was no room in his life for bitterness. Bitterness, the concept the Bible says, eats away at your bones. And I don't think that's just Poetic. Joseph didn't relieve the brothers of the responsibility of
1: what they did. They're guilty. No one's trying to let them off the hook, pretend it didn't happen. I I, I like what one commentator said. He, He put it like this. He said, what Joseph
0: is doing is making peace with his past. And I've got past in my own life I've had to make peace with. And if you've lived
1: on the earth for much time at all, you've probably got some past you've had to make
0: peace with too or need to make peace with. Hopefully you have. But after everything that's been done to him, he doesn't retaliate.
1: He He had every right. He had every reason to avenge what had been done to him. He was in a position.
0: Joseph was actually in a position to exact justice in a real way. He'd been sold into slavery and lived as a slave and a prisoner for years, decades. And yet his response is compassion. His response is forgiveness. He he
1: embraces them. He loves them. He kisses them. Then they hang out, which goes so much against human nature. I, I, I see it all the time. It's this, this issue of forgiveness is something I'm really sensitive to, so when I see it out there in the world and, this, and the unforgiveness has happened, and then, you know, you got these struggles, and I even struggle sometimes with like the, the mom whose
0: five-year-old was killed the, by a drunk driver, and you see him in court, and it's like, I just want you to know I forgive you. I've heard over the years in my own life, people say, I'll never forgive that person. And that, when I hear that, I struggle with it so hard. because I think about my own forgiveness and what it, I'm forgiven,
1: of deeper sin than I think I can even, than I'll ever be able to wrap my brain around. That God the Father, who had no reason other than He wanted to, sent Christ for my forgiveness. And we
0: see the example of Christ's likeness here in Joseph, because He doesn't just forgive. There's also reconciliation. And this is something I've struggled with for years. I
1: think I've sort of kind of just now beginning to wrap my brain around that there's a a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. You can have forgiveness, but not reconciliation. But how do we know there's reconciliation? Well, Joseph's actions. There's a restoration of relationship. Joseph could have said, brothers, I forgive you. I forgive you, guys, I, I do, genuinely. He could have genuinely said this, guys, I forgive you. I'm going to give you some more food. Y'all go back and take care of dad. Hopefully we'll see each other again one day. No hard feelings, but this relationship, I've still got to build some trust, right? That would have been a legitimate position to have taken. That would have been a pretty decent ending to the story. Not as good as the one we got, but it would been all right. We could have left and like, okay, that's good. That's not what Joseph did. He tells the brothers, don't waste any time, hurry back, get dad, get the wives, get the kids, get all the livestock, bring them back to Egypt, I'll put you in Goshen, which we know from Pharaoh later in this chapter is the most fertile area in all of Egypt. This isn't second class land, this is Pharaoh land, near Joseph. This is the best of the best. Verse 11, here's what Joseph says to these brothers.
0: He says, there, I will sustain you. Joseph said, I will be your protector. There's five more years of famine coming. And if you don't do this, if you don't move here and allow me to protect you, you won't make it.
1: So go quickly. Get our father, bring him back. And then he's given donkeys, and they're given donkeys and wagons and silver for the journey, and he also gives them a change of clothes. Then this change of clothes is important. It's a symbol of how Joseph truly feels about these brothers. Now, it's about more than clothes. Obviously, they're good clothes. They came from Joseph. This is the same expression used when it talks about Joseph changing his clothes to put on clothes that were worthy to go stand in front of Pharaoh. But this wasn't, he just gave him some nice clothes. It was as significant, this is kind of examples that get me in trouble sometimes, but this was as significant as Dobby getting a sock.
0: If you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. Take me too long to explain. Reconciliation is symbolized in this
1: exchange of gifts and this clothing. This is this simple gift said to the brothers,
0: We are brothers again. Peter came to Jesus, said, Lord,
1: how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus responded in saying, I do not say to
0: you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Those of y'all like math, that's 490 times. Right? Is that math right? I get that math right. We're brothers again. This goes beyond forgiveness. This is restoration of the relationship. Will the relationship ever be the same? No, it won't be the same. For a a host of reasons. One, Joseph hadn't seen these men in 22 years. That relationship won't be the same. But they're brothers again. And then something in this text that I believe, if we weren't really paying attention, we'd just miss it. He said, don't argue on the way home. This is Joseph telling the brothers, guys, it's over. It's over. There's no one left to blame for the circumstances. I'm not
1: holding it against you. You don't hold it against each other. Don't argue about it. Don't blame each other. Don't decide who had more fault and who didn't. Don't
0: rehash it. It's done. It's done. We're family again. And there was a moment on the cross For Jesus said, it's finished. It's done. And forgiveness happened in that moment.
1: There was some past forgiveness happening. There was some future forgiveness happening. But either way in the grand scheme of eternity,
0: that was Jesus saying, don't argue about it on the way home. It's done. As I lived in this text this morning, I I thought, man, what, what, what does this teach us about forgiveness?
1: It's not complicated. It teaches us this, that It teaches us that, like Joseph, we can forgive and reconcile when we seek God and His providential work to use the bad things in our life for His good, for our good, for His glory. Not to ignore what's happened, but to look at it and see it for what it is.
0: See the ways God has used it in your life for your good. That didn't happen overnight to Joseph. It
1: took years before he got to this point in his life. But once he was there, he did not allow his past to hinder what God was doing in his life in the
0: present. He moved forward in forgiveness. In an amazing way. And I don't want to diminish the betrayal that any of you have experienced in here.
1: But none of you have ever been thrown in a pit for dead and sold into slavery. Now, the betrayal that we've experienced in our lives hurt as much as it did Joseph. We've experienced betrayal. I'm not diminishing that. That's the experience that you have But Joseph was able to forgive because he could see the work of God in his life. And I've lived long enough to know that in a group of this size, somebody's been betrayed. You've been hurt
0: by the people that were supposed to protect you. And I thought about this message this week, and I know the power of forgiveness, and I know the power of being forgiven
1: And I I really thought, there there was an easy, easy, lazy application in this passage. Uh, not, Not in the passage. For me as a preacher. There was an easy, lazy application.
0: If you've got someone you need to forgive, go out and forgive them. You know why that's lazy? That's super easy for me to say. And it's true. True. Right. I don't necessarily know if it's helpful. Do you know you can be right and not be helpful? Do you know that? took me a long time to learn that. I've been right a lot in my life and not been helpful. So I thought... What what do we need to start a journey towards forgiveness? And if you're someone in here
1: that's got a situation in your life that needs forgiveness and it needs reconciliation and you're struggling with it, I think the best thing you can do is instead of some preacher just saying, well, just go forgive them, is try to start a journey towards forgiveness like Joseph did and ask yourself,
0: How has God used what happened in your life for your good and for His glory? To look at your situation like Joseph looked at his and try to see
1: what God is doing in the bigger picture, bigger than what you can see in this moment, and then begin to seek God as a way for Him to allow you to start working towards forgiveness to be able to start working towards giving up bitterness and then be able to work past forgiveness even into reconciliation,
0: restoration. There's no way to talk about forgiveness without thinking about the cross. There's just not. It shouldn't be. Jesus was rejected by his own people, even his own family.
1: He was arrested, He was tried, He was beaten,
0: He was nailed to a cross, He was mocked while He hung on the cross, He was stabbed in the side, and while He was on the cross, He said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Jesus knew. He knew what was happening.
1: How did He say, Father, forgive them? Because He knew. He knew that all that betrayal, all that torture, all of that suffering was what was needed to save the remnant from their sins. He was the Savior sent to be our protector. He was the Savior sent to deliver the people. He was the Savior sent so that we, the sinner, could become the children of God. Reconciled to God, placed into the family of God. Christ saw that bigger picture. He saw what we needed, and he willingly took on that for all of us. And that's what
0: happened even with Joseph. He saw that bigger picture. He saw what was needed. And what Christ did happened so that we could be forgiven. And if we're a people that are forgiven, then we should be a people that forgive. And you may not be able to forgive today, but you should start that journey today.